HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by New York Mutual Trading. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni, I'm the host here. It's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, and uh, we've got a long-awaited show here. Uh, one of the be- bigger stories in New York City craft beer is the story of Torch and Crown Brewing, and uh, they're soon to open uh, first of its kind, like production and restaurant brewery in Manhattan. So we're going to have the, the crew of Torch and Crown introduce themselves, and we're going to have a nice conversation, so... Awesome. Jimmy, I'm Joe Correa, uh, head brewer, co-founder over at Torch and Crown. Christian Papanicholas. I'm the uh, operating partner of the restaurant and, uh, and brewery down in Soho. Hello, hello. Uh, this is Chris McClellan, marketing director over at Torch and Crown Brewing Company. So, Chris, it's, it's great having you at Torch and Crown, and thanks so much for putting the show together. Of course. With us. Thanks for getting us on, Jimmy. Uh, so first, ta- first time Joe's on. So we, we've had John, your, your other partner, on. Um, but we want to hear it from you. So, Joe, you actually have some, some good brewing cred. You're not just a Wall Street guy that... that Jumped into the, the beer scene. No, no, I don't think I would have lasted on Wall Street very long at all. I can't do math to save my life. But um, the uh, yeah, I uh, out of college, started working for a distillery in Boston. Um, after that, I was at Rogue in uh, Newport, Oregon. 
And then I spent, you know, three to four years with Cane Brewing down in the Asbury Park area uh, before John and I collectively came back together. Because we started home brewing together at like 16. Um, came back together to open this spot. I'll tell you about, it must have been 10 years ago I, I tried Cane or eight or 10 years ago. And I remember people saying that that at the time was the best, the best brewery in, in New Jersey. What was it like for you working there? It was great. It was an awesome experience. When uh, when I started there, we were doing in the two thousand barrel a year range. When uh, when I finally left, it was uh, in that twelve to thirteen thousand barrel a year range. Uh, so it was an awesome place to uh, to be able to bring some big brewing experience to and and try to help them, you know, fix some stuff there, but also get a ton of experience on the recipe side and and what it means to be a more creative and hands on brewer that way. So it was a uh, overall. Um, an awesome package to kind of put together to try to open our own spot. Great. So, what what are what's the setup going to be like uh, when you open in Manhattan? And just tell us what Chris you want us to def- tell us what it is. It's Torch and Crown Brewing, but it's there's more than just a brewery there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll definitely uh, defer to Joe on some of the vision here um, since we've got him in the room. But the idea is relatively simple in that we really are trying to be Manhattan's brewery. Um, Manhattan hasn't had. Um, that kind of force, you know, it hasn't had that business, um, you know, in the city itself uh, for quite a long time. There have been a few businesses that have brewed beer there, um, but in terms of being a full production brewery, um, that is certainly going to be part of it. And so the experience when you go there is going to be not only some of the best beer that you've had and certainly um, some something that's that's very homegrown. But additionally, you know, with Christian on board, you can go there for an amazing meal. You can go there for an amazing experience. So you can come enjoy the beer. Uh, enjoy the food and just enjoy the entire the, the whole ambiance basically great so christian you know I, same we go way back <laughs> 2010 you're on one of our first food and beer pairing shows with garrett oliver when you had resto and cannibal so to me i, I was looking at my show notes today and i was like restaurant operator christian it's got to be christian yeah. B. Yeah, say yeah. your name one more time because uh, i can never Cri- pronounce christian Papanicholas. Yeah, so how did you it's, get involved with the project? It's more long than it's more long than than uh, difficult. But, is is um, that Swiss, Papa Nicholas? One hundred percent Swiss. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I'm horrible at origin stories, quite frankly. But it's uh, my, my memory is 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 you know being connected to you guys, uh, to Joe and John, and and having some I don't know some some good beers and some good food over at Resto or the Cannibal, and just sort of talking about it and. Um, you know, I'd like to think, just like you, Jimmy, like, you know, we've been in this business a long, long time and um, and tried to champion beer and food for a long, long time. And it was something that was very important to me in the beginning of Resto, having sort of this very prominent beer list and then obviously taking that into the Cannibal brand as well. And, you know, I hope to think that it was such a, you know, I've never got to work with a specific brand. And it's really exciting to me to do so, especially because... I sort of sometimes I, I find myself drinking less beer and I, I sort of self-proclaim like n- not as much beer do I I don't drink as much beer as I used to and I think these guys are getting me to drink more beer which is really fun I sort of I like to, jo- <laughs> I like to joke with joke with Joe about it I said like you know I don't I'm not an IPA drinker like I'm the self-proclaimed and I still you know my maybe a little like you like my my beer knowledge all came from Belgium and that was what Resto was about and I had friends there I was traveling there and spending time there and so sort of the difference between drinking old school Bordeaux and drinking, you know. I mean, uh, Christian had the, the best like beer restaurant in New York City. Oh, it was, cra- it was crazy good. It was when I heard that the, this that the partnership uh, between Torch and Crown and Christian was coming together. I was unbelievably excited because I remember going to the Cannibal uh, and just just mowing down and having amazing beer there. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I, look, it's it, the goal is to champion that. I mean, I being in Belgium, that's where it, that's where I got it from. I mean, it was so inspiring to be in a country that had been doing it for so long. It's not unlike thinking, okay, I'm gonna open a restaurant, and be very wine focused, and going to France and saying, oh my gosh, I've, I've been doing this for they've been doing this for so long, and there's so much history there. And I think Belgians in, in general just drink. They drink really good beer, and they they like to celebrate it. It's not fussy with them, um, which I think is something that I'm really interested in. Sort of the atmosphere and the the mentality of hospitality. It, um, they can be overbearing in the way that they make you drink beer, which is sort of fun as well, which I like. But um, you know, I just it was exciting to be able to do this and 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 work with it. And it's so fun to be working with these guys. And we're we're going on about two two years of development right now and getting close. I to, might have getting, to work in that neighborhood just close, so I can go in for lunch. Getting and close, have, yeah. <laughs> have my yeah, little getting, goblet of a Bach beer or something. <laughs> something. But uh, so Joe, so um, you know, you, you guys. At, We've had you on Torch and Crown before, so we know that there's a production brewery in, in the Bronx that you guys took over a few years ago, and you're making some really great beers out of there. Um, how has that influenced you know, the, the, the brewery that you're going to open in Manhattan and the types of beers you're going to make? You know, um, Certainly, yeah. I mean, it's been a, it was an awesome opportunity for us. It was never what we you know, set out to do. We've always been met we, like, with this goal of being Manhattan's beer. Um, so in this struggle to find a, a location that you could put, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of equipment on the floors and them not implode or need to gut an entire building to be able to facilitate having a production brewery in Manhattan, um, we had an opportunity up there to take over an existing space. Uh, so we took it and it, it, we started doing some contract brewing for some of our friends out there, up there. And it was, uh, that was a, a cool experience, you know, walking in. And uh, being able to kind of turn key brew as opposed to just being in this position where we're, you know, waiting a year or two to actually get off the ground. Um, and there's a lot of value in recipe development and, and learning all that stuff and, and how other people are approaching making beer for better or for worse. I mean, some, there's some stuff that you look at and you go, okay, like, not something that I would do. And you might learn something cool out of it or you learn a way not to do something in the future. Uh, but the, it's allowed us to really put uh, an awesome core team together ahead of actually having this Soho space open. So we've got brewers now from all over the country and different walks of life that are coming in and, and breathing some of the creative energy into what we're doing in a collaborative way that I think will be amazingly conducive to this small 10-barrel system we're putting in Manhattan. Are there some beers that you, you're, you're going to make in the Manhattan location that, you, that you've been dying to make that you haven't made at the larger brewery? Absolutely. Like uh, what? So I, I, I've He's wanted, smiling now. Joe's smiling. Yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> I've wanted to do a, you know, a primary bread fermentation beer for a while for Torch and Crown. Um, and uh, just on the 30-barrel system and the fact that we're cranking two turns out a day, it's just really not something that's conducive to doing if you're, if you're trying to hand off that many pieces and actually make sure that you're not going to do something that's detrimental to the brewery at large. But on that smaller scale, we can really start to get fun and creative that way. So I want to do a you know, primary ferment bread, um, just kind of dedicate a small tank to it over in the corner and kind of see where, where we can take that. Um, you know, there's more traditional sour beers that I'd like to do out of there that doing them in Grundy's would be, you know, a real possibility. And uh, we're, we've built the system out to be able to focus on uh, making some of these more interesting uh, new age IPAs without actually having to back into the processes that we would have to do up in the Bronx, trying to convert a 20 year old system to make it do something that, you know, brewers want to do in 2020. Um, That's great. So, you know, I, I, it's funny. I think about it so much of, I don't know if it's by accident or not, but 
you know, from, from the perspective of, of the restaurant, like if we could have a year of cooking primarily before we get into, but it's like a smaller kitchen, like you really get to develop that and you get to really get excited about it because you think about how fun you get to have, how much fun you get to have when you have a little bit more control over something versus large batching. Um, and, you know, the idea obviously being how much fun can we have with food and beer and something that I've been super passionate about for a long time. And, and hopefully we get to a place you get your rhythm in and you say, okay, Hey, we should brew something that's going to go right here. We're going to, we're going to, you know, cook something that's going to go right there and, and you, you know, cross pollinate as much as you can to have some fun with it. Do, do you have some, uh, food and beer pairing ideas in mind? You know, I think, and I probably, if I went back and listened to the show we did with Garrett back in the day, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say like, you know, I don't, I don't geek. I'm the guy that doesn't geek out about pairings. Although I think there are things that are right. I just, you know, I'm, I always think I want to drink what I want to drink and I want to eat when I want to eat. You know, I'm not somebody that feels that I can't eat a bunch of big steaks and drink a bunch of sparkling wine. Like that doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't compute to me. I, I want what I want when I want it. Um, that being said, there's definitely natural things that go together. And I think that's the, that's going to be the fun. I, I think naturally, you know, my love of sort of that beef carbonade, Belgian braised, you know, beer braised, uh, beef dish is something that I think is going to rear its head no matter what at some point. Um, when, as we get into this sort of opening and we get into spring, that's going to be a bit harder to sort of swallow because it's a big braised dish, but I, you know, it's still, it allows you to do. You know, I, I don't mind using lighter beers to braise things and keeping things light, especially going in the summertime. And, and we've got an amazing chef on board as well. So it's like just to have, we're going to have some fun with it and see where it takes us. Um, and Chris, so, so uh, what are the plans for opening? The, the, when's the date? Do you know? How do people find out more about you? Do you I, I haven't seen the email about the opening date. Have you guys seen, gotten the email seen, yet? I'm hoping no. that Jimmy was going to give us a date today. Yeah, that, was the goal. that was the goal. <laughs> uh, I heard it was May something. Yeah. If anybody's ever built anything in the world, they understand that the date is always you know way longer than it, than, it, than you originally planned. We, we've got a ton of plans, um, but the downtown build-out, so we were talking about it earlier. It was, it's the old Van Damme Diner, right? And this was a gut renovation, right? So this is a ground-up, remove-everything uh, and and make it fit for brewing, make it obviously fit for permitting and occupancy and, and a kitchen and, and everything that didn't really exist in there before in a lot of ways. And so uh, this process, uh, to say that it's been a process is, is a massive understatement. So um, having just walked into this myself over the past couple of months and just seen the amount of progress that we've made over the past couple of months, it's pretty amazing. We would love to be open in the next few months um, for you know, for full retail consumer, you know, food and everything. But what we're going to do is you can always just go to the website as well uh, and sign up. And then we're going to keep you updated as soon as we're just torchandcrown.com. And you guys can just check it out. And then as soon as you sign up there, you can subscribe. Um, We're going to send you updates. We're going to make sure that you are up to date on everything. We're going to have some retail can sales down there probably in the next uh, two to three weeks, hopefully, Um, if not a little bit sooner. Um, and we can keep people updated on that as well. So you can go in, you can buy some of the freshest beer in New York City, um, sometimes literally packaged less than 24 hours ago. So uh, it's going to be pretty amazing. And it's going to be a, you know, it's a fairly sizable space. So we have, when it's all said and done, including outside, we'll be up to about 350 seats. So it's a it's a big space. We've got so about what, what What is it comparable? Is it going to feel like a restaurant that has a... a a big long beer bar. What's what's the real identity going to be like for the customer? Because I'm already, I'm already excited to go there. Right. Yeah. There's a. I mean, there's there's serving tanks on the ground floor. You can kind of see exactly where the beer's coming from for a portion of the bar. Um, and it's it's not just a a small you know 
micro brew pub kind of setup. It's a legitimate production brewery that we're putting in there. Uh, there's two 30-barrel tanks that are going to be on the ground floor as well, kind of overlooming the bar. And there's an entire floor dedicated specifically to brewing space in the basement. So there'll be three-vessel, ten-vessel barrel down there. Um, also doubles as private event space for us, you know, when we're not actually brewing. Um, and you're actually going to be in there while... So there'll be forklifts in the dining room? More or less, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> we're going to yeah, require I mean, in, in the, eyewear for yeah, everybody the, when they walk the, in. Where the liquor tanks are and where the brewing facility is, you know, you've got upwards of 50 seats for private dining, but also there's a lot of, you know, we're talking about doing a lot of fun programming in terms of industry and <laughs> getting people to come down and sort of have no, You guys that, are going to be the place. best. I am so looking forward to this team that you've put Thank together. You. And Thank John's you. not here, but Joe, uh, that's one question. Uh, it was more for John, but I think you can, you can answer it. Team building. You know, how did you guys go about this? So, you, you know, you, you said when you took over the brewery in the Bronx, it was originally just you brewing. So maybe on your end, how do you put together your brewing team? I mean, I think, I think it's the same, uh, regardless of if it's, you know, Christian and Christian that are, are here now as relationships that John had built previously and then working with people that you know and trust and then having that sort of dynamic is, is the important part of it. So, I mean, our, our first hire was a guy that I had worked with at Kane who, you know, he, he, uh, he was a kick-ass guy and, um, he had been doing great stuff for them. He didn't quite have the brewing experience at the time, but his ability to build an infrastructure and the mind was right. And I knew enough about him and worked well with him in the past to trust him and just kind of allowing that sort of mentality to cascade um, so that everyone that's working together is, is on the same page, I think, is the important part there. You know, Torch and Crown to me, actually, since you guys opened a couple of years ago, you've right away been leaders in the New York City craft beer community, whether it's contracting for other startups and some of the collaborations. Um, I, I, I don't know if you want to talk about that, Chris, because I, I feel like from day one, they, they've had good vibes and their, their brand is really strong. I agree. And I was, a, I was a, um, an outsider until recently, so it was really nice to watch this process you know, from the ground up. Um, the, you know, the story of them buying of, of Joe and John kind of calling an audible and buying the, uh, the production facility in the Bronx first, right before really getting, uh, and really being able to cut their teeth on, on what they want to do and who they want to be up there before, um, getting Soho, you know, off the ground and, and rolling as well is pretty amazing. Um, I looked at the entire thing and I said, this is a journey that nobody else has really gone through before. Um, having, you know, I'm not a native New Yorker. I grew up in Vermont. And so being here for five or six years, and knowing that this is my home now, nobody has tried to do this, right? Um, you know me, Jimmy. I want to be part of that adventure. I saw these guys, and I said, "This is the this is the craziest thing I've I've seen in a long time." I think Chris, <laughs> Christian and I, when we first got to know each other, bonded over this fact. Um, I still make fun of them pretty much on a daily basis for for how crazy this adventure wait, wait, is. Wait, I didn't realize that was we were allowed to. I didn't, I didn't realize we were allowed to do that. I, I, <laughs> now, I, now, now I get to, I get to add that to my repertoire. I'm so excited. It, it's unbelievably necessary because okay. um, we got to be real about the whole thing, you know. Right. I, I would say um, one thing of note in our era. At one time, there were more breweries in Manhattan, even in the '90s, that first craft beer boom. But uh, in our era, other than like Polliner coming in and having right. a brewery or the little micro tiny brewery on the top of Italy uh, right. and maybe one or two other things. There really hasn't been a brewery in Manhattan. Right, right. And, wh and what's the challenge, Joe? Is, is it just money? Is, is it spaces or just, what it's, is uh, it? <laughs> what's the one thing all, that's all, been a challenge? All Joe? of it. The one thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of, it's uh, I guess it's a little bit of column A, B, C and D there. Um, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me has just been trying to find a way to get a production flow into 
into a space like that. We're fortunate enough that the building is allowing us to use the cellar, the subcellar's double height, but now you've got a disjointed brewery on three different floors that, you know, in a perfect world, I've got the largest open square I could make and just kind of surround things and everybody can move fluently and, and seamlessly and it doesn't, it doesn't, nobody's impeding each other. So figuring out how to get the tanks downstairs, we had to blast a giant hole in the ground floor with a removable staircase so that when the tanks show up, they can get in and then we can put the stair back and try not to, to impede on service there. So, um, you know, all of that is time consuming. Um, it's costs a lot of money, but it also, you know, production wise, it's necessary for us to, to be able to operate an actual production brewery. There. Is there a brewery, not in terms of the, the beer too, but more in terms of the operations or the way it, it's, it's structured that you would like to emulate or that has inspired you? Oh, inspired. Um, I mean, I, there's there's a ton of brewing inspiration that you know that uh, I can draw from. I think, just purely from a, a beer standpoint, I've always been a huge Firestone guy. Um, I've never had a bad beer from them. Flawless. Yep, yep. they're flawless. Yep. Sure. Um, there's I, a I, wonderful away portfolio, but there's also this wonderful home portfolio that it's really difficult to get. Um, anywhere else in the country, yeah. if you really are interested in those beers. I brought some fun things for us to taste, and I literally had like. Seven Firestone beers. I was staring at. It. I was like, nobody's gonna want to drink this stuff. I'm gonna also because I can't talk about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. let's let's pop some more beers. Sure. And then, uh, and what about operations? I'm, I'm like, as the brewer, is there a setup? Is is, is are all breweries the same now, or do you think that some of them are are, are smarter or more along the lines of what you'd like? You can uh, tell me one sure, place yeah, you yeah. like that you. Uh, no, we're 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 good friends with some of the Breakside guys out in in the Portland area. Um, and I've always been super impressed with their setup, and they they do have a large you know production facility that's out uh, that's out just outside of Portland. But they they just opened a brew pub in uh, the Pearl District in Portland that that really does take incredible advantage of space, allows them to have hyper control over the beer that they're making, but also can focus on kind of seating and things like that, and making sure that that's a user experience that people really dig and enjoy, and it's not just happens to be a brew system there it is a legitimate brewery it's just packed into northwest portland um breakside brewing yeah. and then what we're drinking so the this is your first pills that you've brewed at torch and crown it is yeah yeah tell me about what what's what's sure. the profile what type of pills is it sure yeah i mean it's a it's a german style pills real real kind of simple there just a german pilsner malt maybe a little bit of flaked weed for some head retention um hollow tower and the hopping profile and uh and a German lager yeast. Um, so we, I'm a big proponent of kind of time on these beers. Um, so right now we're, we have a couple different iterations of pilses that we're working on. Uh, we got one in the pipeline that the, the idea is to give it as much possible time as we can. The beer is kind of dictating it, and that's kind of the focus of what the Soho facility is going to, to look like as well. Uh, but I think we just hit day 48 on that beer and tank. I was just tasting it today, and it's really starting to to evolve into exactly what we're looking for. So hopefully, you know, in the next 12 to 20 days, that's like be seven. Where it's at. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So ideally, what do you want? Like 10, 10 weeks, 12 weeks? Honestly, the nice pills? thing is I just want as long a time as it takes for beer to be what I want it to be. Um, so if that, if that happens in 30 days, fantastic. If it takes 90, then it takes 90. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of figure out what works. And, and that was the thing, that sentiment right there, that mentality is the thing that brought me, that kind of brought me into the whole project, right? Is, um, being about the beer, being about the quality, the things that Torch and Crown um, can represent in Manhattan, you know, this is the center of the world, you know, in, in, in many ways, if you choose to define it that way. And if we can stand for those things and we can say, look, we're going to make the best, we're going to be the best, um, 
it's really hard to do that consistently, right? Like, you know, a lot of people who say, oh, no, that's good enough. Um, and hopefully we can, you know, we can stick to that, the, the obvious operational challenges around that um, aside. It's really, it's inspiring to hear that kind of thing, you know, and, and we definitely want to continue to try to be that way. We want Manhattanites to, to discover beer, but we also want New Yorkers to discover beer. You know, there's 45 breweries in the city. We're incredibly proud. I'm personally incredibly proud of all of them for having done so much over the past 10 years. Um, but we still, I think craft beer still sits on, on the periphery a little bit. You know, I think most people in New York don't, you know, don't have that kind of feeling of, of it being part of their home the way it should. You know, so hopefully we can change that a little bit too. Well, and the other piece of it is, you know, for me, and uh, you know, Chris is absolutely right. It's, you know, I want, I want there to be a communal thing. It's food, you know, drinking beer. If I think back to drinking beer, you know, sort of when I learned it, it, it when I started to really get into it in Belgium, it was always this communal thing, and it always involved food. Um, you know, I could I can remember my Belgian friends. You know, the second I started. Like, if we were just going to sit back and just, you know, pound Jupiler's or Stella's or things like that, like, that's fine. That's at the bar late night. But if you're eating and if you're drinking good beer, you're eating with it. And it's part of the, it's part of the collaboration. It's part of the fun. And I want that to be the case. Like, I want, I want it to feel... What's going to be on the menu besides a seasonal beef uh, carbonated? <laughs> um, One item. We'll def- okay, we're definitely going to bring the large format feast from sort of that, that, that originated at Resto and the Cannibal. So whole pigs, whole lambs, whole racks of, you know, ribeyes, things like that. Something that's very communal. And shareable. That's, that's, sort of the, that's sort of the order ahead mindset. Super shareable, yeah. But, you know, look, I think people dine differently, and I think about food differently than I did sort of 14, 13, well, one, 14 one years item. ago. One item. Do you have a menu item yet? That's large format meat. I got lots Tell of me menu, one, bro. Lots of menu it may items. not be on the menu, but you, you'd, you'd like so, to see. Um, you know, we're definitely not trying to go sort of the traditional beer. No, you know, one, the, the, one the, dish. I'm going to get that. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not short for words, as Chris and I can always. Chris and I'll get in 35 minute conversations about nothing, but it, which is why I love them. But um, the goal is not to do what I would call total traditional sort of beer food. That being said, I'm not going to ever discount the fact that you know hot dogs go good with beer and, and pretzels and beef jerky and things like that. So. Um, we're going to pull what was a very short-lived cannibal dog number 1.0, as we called it. Um, 2.0 became this very, like, sort of Malpatofu Szechuan thing. But the original cannibal dog was a ode to the Coney Diners, uh, the Coney Diners in uh, Detroit. So it's an old Greek heritage, two brothers that split, and it's a beef and beef heart chili with yellow mustard and white onion on a potato roll. And so we're going to bring that. As something that so it'd be like a chili chili dog. It's a chili dog. Thing. It's a chili dog, but you know, little Greek heritage there. So you know, back to the old old country, like I'm from. And so it's, not, it's, it's from a chili dog country, with Greek heritage. So yeah, it's like uh, it's still a chili dog. It's still a, it's still a chili dog. Yeah. yeah, by all means. All right, but you know, huge vegetable program because it's important that people eat vegetables. And I think um, you know, just food that I think anybody wants to eat and eat every day. And you know, I look again. I back to the point is like I want to I want to eat real food and drink beer. I don't I don't want to eat. I never think about it as like, oh, it's got to be always like what we can, what we would have historically thought about beer food, which is sometimes kind of like. You know, food. Uh, potatoes are getting a better rap these days. Though, as right. as yes. they're actually being reclassified as a vegetable. As a vegetable, they are. They are a vegetable. So you know, a little French fries. Yeah. <laughs> French fries will be yes, we will we will have French fries. There's no question about it. But yeah. Uh, so Joe, going back to you, man. Um, 
you know, some of the people that are working with you. I just saw that you uh, did a Pink Boots Society collaboration with some uh, some New York City women brewers. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, Megan, our uh, head of operations, is is awesome, and you know, didn't come from a, a beer background, but is a is super smart and has really picked up an enormous amount about the about actually brewing since uh, since she started with us. So she. She had this idea for a beer where she she's always seemed to like a you know a lot more traditional uh, kind of pale ale beers and uh, the hop profile in these pink boot hops are uh, are really interesting. There's a mix of of some fun stuff in there. I th- if I remember right, it's like Laurel and Azaka and uh, El Dorado and uh, one other hop that's that's kind of rounds the whole thing out. Um, so she wanted to do a, a more kind of like a taking an old almost like Sierra Nevada like base pale. And then throwing a bunch of kind of new age hop techniques and, and hopping profile to it, given the, the spread of hops that were there. So really from, from the, the ground up, it was, it was kind of her, her beer conception. And we had everybody out on, uh, on Sunday. We were able to run the thing through. And I'm excited to drink it. <laughs> so w- when that beer comes out, w- how do you guys sell it? Who gets it? What's the identity of that beer? Yeah, so <clears throat> the naming process for, for any of our beers usually just comes from one person, whoever kind of owns that idea. I think that's true for most breweries. But then after that, um, we really do try to sell on that story first before we, you know, before we actually get to uh, the beer itself. We want the beer to speak for itself. We want the quality to speak for itself. But when we're out there, you know, with our retailers in New York City specifically, because right now we don't have a space to sell it on our own, um, we want to make sure that they understand that, you know, and they can kind of get behind that and, and inform their customers. And we try our best you know, across all of our marketing channels to do that as well. But um, that's what it's been about. Luckily, because of the size and because of the batch size, we can kind of continue to be um, pretty nimble, right, with the way that we choose to produce these beers. And it's not such a big deal to, to stick to flagships or stick to cores. Um, the identity of who Torsion Crown in is, 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 is going to evolve. So the, the too, Pink Boots so. collab will probably come out in, what, about a month? Yeah. In about yep. a month. Yep. And then the other one, so the latest Pilsner, um, give, give a shout-out on Instagram we posted – a picture of your Pilsner can, uh, both Carmine Street Beer in the West Village and uh, B-Town Brews in Ozone Park uh, will be carrying the the pills. And Chris, you said you were delivering the pills to other places as well today. Yes, yes, I've got I've got some beer in there, and we're we're, we're chucking it over to Gloria Baldi here and uh, here in Brooklyn and a few other spots as well. So you'll see you'll see runner up uh, all over the city at your best runner beer up pills. That's yep, it. Yep. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Premier Japanese food. This episode is brought to you by New York Mutual Trading, the premier Japanese food, alcoholic beverage, and restaurant supply specialist. Mutual Trading is the Japanese food authority, true to the heart in upholding genuine Japanese food traditions, and progressive in exploring new ways to provide innovative restaurant supplies and services. They import, export, distribute and manufacture the top brands for retailer and food service customers nationwide. Learn more at nymtc.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You can become a member and support all the 30 shows uh, on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, so we get Torch and Crown Brewing here. They're going to open up a brewery in Manhattan with a restaurant, and th- that's a big story. So, Chris, um, why is that so special? 
I think, I mean, <laughs> there's so I mean, many there's good... There's 45 breweries in New York City. Why is opening one in Manhattan such a big deal? The, the, the business challenges, I mean, just getting down to the fundamentals and cutting through the red tape, the business challenges of opening anything in Manhattan. I mean, Christian knows this when he opened all of his restaurants. And the, um, the negotiations, the lease negotiations, just the, the build-out, the infrastructure, the amount of uh, services that are required, right, in order to keep it off the ground. All of those things are part of the formula, and it's an intimidating process. And I think uh, Joe can speak to this better than I can, but the number of things that you have to keep your eye on in order to make sure that it works and it works well and the timelines are managed, even if you hire a project manager and a contractor, even if you hire an architect and all of these other things, um, there are so many factors involved, right? Certainly, yeah. I mean, we're even getting hit by it. There's a great PSA at the beginning of the show here about uh, you know people continuing to not engage in aversion behavior to wash your hands the, support the new york city restaurants yeah, but unfortunately speak of yeah, exactly right yeah wash your hands but uh you know we had an equipment shipment wash your delayed. hands go out to restaurants don't be shy exactly but we, we did have an equipment shipment delayed as a result of it because people are engaging on a global scale in that sort of aversion behavior and that's not it's not great but and you know it's not great for people but it's also not great for trying to, to open a business and there's curveballs like that that are just getting thrown left and right and trying to and trying to open a brewery, right? Um, whether that's that or the boiler flew or, you know, you get a, you had a whole set of plans drawn and you realize that somebody was off by three or four inches. How tall is the building out. that you're in? Uh, it's, it's pretty tall. 20, 20 floors. So th- that impacts things like venting and all that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I would never say that small building is easier, but when you have a large building with multiple tenants and it was actually two buildings combined, you end up with... Between your expediters and your architects, you're, you're dealing with just so many more variables and so many more people at the conversation that you're, that you're sort of checking boxes when you go through process that it just becomes a, it be, just becomes a slower process. I laughingly, definitely not that old, but you know, I, I kind of always have this rhetoric of like stop emailing to everybody because an email should really end up in a 24 to 48 hour return, response. If something's urgent, get on the phone and let's get it done because it's, you know, it just, that little every time you do that, if you multiply it, to, you know, times eight or nine months, you know, you lose a lot of time just the, going through the, the process. Watching that journey has been unbelievable. I mean, from the outside and now from the inside, watching that journey, yeah, you know, I mean, like, look, building building restaurants in the city is not an easy task. Um, putting anything in the city, like, well, here's said, a specific. Is, is, is so not. I'd heard that in the old days that every floor you add, so you're putting in a kitchen with gas and venting. Correct. So every in the old days, every Additional story for a, just a basic venting was ten thousand dollars. So per per, per floor. So Correct. now it's probably a lot more than that. Well, so the, for us, because the floor, when you get it to a certain height of a building, you have to scrub it. You can't go up that far because obviously it gets, becomes cross, cost prohibitive, right? To put iron to the roof of a twenty-story building, you know, you're talking about what do you? You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of money. So we end up scrubbing it. But look, even then. There's a lot of things, and we have a real kitchen. You know, there's it's definitely there's a full, we have a full kitchen to be able to service 350 seats. You know, it's important for us to to be able to do the right stuff and to be able to get that so food. What out are the what are some things in the kitchen? It's just like you have any special equipment. Um, you know, the combi ovens definitely play the part today. You know, and their their Altosham has been a great partner of ours. It's a really great brand that that builds wonderfully beautiful ovens and. Um, you know, they allow you to cook things faster. Electric hold things, workhorse hold, it's, it's, I mean, it's gas and steam. It, you know, it's gas, steam, convection. Um, you know, we do when we need to hold pigs. The dream in any, you know, from from any perspective would be 
great, man. We can get a great smoker and we can smoke the pig for 12, 15 hours and, it'll be, and it's always very romantic. But how many pigs can I do in that volume? You know, this way I can do it in three hours and it's going to come out. I'll pull, you know, I can Here's, a, here's a chef quiz. And if anyone gets this, gets a free torch and crown hat. Um, there's a French uh, pastry that's, that's like a cheese puff that you can bake in the oven that's amazing with beer. Who has it? Does anyone know? Pat the shoe? Uh, that's, that's the that's dough. The, the that's dough. the dough. What would you make with that? Well, you wouldn't make profiterole. Begins with a G. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> Gaugers. Oh, I got give me a second. I gotta give, I gotta give, you give me a second. Give me a second. I One of my that. great memories. I had I had a crazy chef once, and I can say he was crazy. And he and he he made Gaugers, and and he was cooking cooking batches to order. Correct. Yes. You've got to make that for beer because yes. it's more than beer. It's yes. culinary. But yes. That's of my course, two cents. But, but cooking to order, you know, listen. It's, now I'm the restaurant consultant. Come brilliant, on. <laughs> really brilliant. And we used to do them um, at resto, and we stuffed them with uh, with. Chicken liver mousse, which was really yummy. One uh, also um, one of the other big issues with smoking a whole pig is you have to shut down Sixth Avenue for fifteen hours because <laughs> you bring the smoker in and Correct. you have to put it right on Sixth Listen, Avenue. We, then... you know, as a tenure member of community boards in the city, I, I'm hoping to think that at some point in time we're going to find a way to shut down Van Dam Street between Sixth and Barrick. Uh, 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 the Torch and Crown block party. To do a block, it, to do a block party with a bunch happens, of pigs and stuff. Yeah, be, we'll maybe be we'll epic. get the Big Apple Barbecue back in uh, downtown. Ugh, that sin, the sin of that leaving. Oh, they did. They left, didn't they? But they did. Yeah, it was in my I'm neighborhood. I'm sure you so. could pick, pick up on what, what it was, uh, but that's another story. So, Joe, I want to know more about you, man. You you are a great story. Cane Brewing to me was this like myth, mythical. Um, top New Jersey brewery for a long time, partly because they never sold in New York City. Um, how do you feel like that? The, the scarcity like that matter in, in terms of how people perceive a brewery? To some degree. I mean, scarcity, I think, is, is always going to make people want something more, right? But um, the key there was just making great beer and with a great team. Uh, and that's ultimately what we're trying to create, create here. The, we had a lot of really passionate guys at the time that I was there. We grew an enormous amount in a short period of time. And uh, the brew staff was incredibly tight-knit, um, and no one ever wanted to walk away from the day if there was something left to do that was going to make the beer that extra inch, right? Um, and that's kind of the mentality that we're trying to bring to our own product here. It was in a great environment to be in and, and one that, you know, ultimately we're recreating. Um, but that, that to me was that little extra care at the end of every day, that little extra hour, 15 minutes, whatever it was, to make sure that the beer was exactly what you wanted it to be was kind of the difference maker there, I think, in a lot of ways. And you said for your pills that you, you really want to make sure it has enough time, and that's what you're going to be able to do in the Manhattan Brewery. Um, do you feel that way about all your beers? Like you, you want is, is time an important part of your beers? Certainly, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's ways that you can try to speed production along and shortcuts that you can take, and... and there's, there's always going to be the reality of being a production brewery to some extent, right? That this beer needs to be out or, you know, that tank is needed for something else that I'm also super passionate about. And there's a kind of a risk assessment you have to make. And one small change in any of those places is not going to have this grand impact on the, on the final product. But when people are consistently making decisions like that, that becomes a real issue. So, you know, being able to give the time that beer needs is, is incredibly important, whether that's just another day on the hops to try to extract a little bit more flavor out of them or just giving a lager an extra couple of days to try to, to, to try to mature a little more. If that's a 10, 20 day window, that's a 10, 20 day window. And it's something that we're committed to from the brewing side to, to make sure we're doing. Wow, man. And, and uh, you're going to be making 
different types of beers as well. Right now, Christian, you popped a was this an old lambic for us? Yeah. So this is a this is probably a twelve year old uh, Dechem. So it was one of the best blenders in Belgium. I still, you know, my my heart will always be in Belgian beer because that's where I learned about beer. Um, and it's just sort of fun and interesting to to sort of go back in that history. And you know, I still will drink um, the Trappist Ales, not unlike drinking Old Bordeaux or Old Burgundy. You know, people that have been brewing beer for that long have a sensibility that I think is hard to match. Um, it doesn't mean that new beer is not great. It just means that you know I still have that that sensibility. So this is a basically it's a blend of a bunch of different um, lambics. He's got access to sort of Cantillon and. Fontaine and things, and he just blends out from that. This was three years when it was bottled, so it's probably about 13, 14 years old. And they're pretty variant in their bottles, but, um, you know, super sour, really low A alcohol and and tart and fun. And, um, you, know, yeah, really you, you had one of the best, probably the best beer restaurant in New York City uh, for a long time. So, Christian, tell us about this team. I mean, Chris, tell us, Chris and Christian, tell us about this team because you've got uh, one of the owners as a brewer who's really paid his dues and and you've got a, a, a top restaurant operator. So you're not just bringing in a chef, you're actually bringing in a, a, a restaurant operator to run the restaurant portion. Yeah, and thank God. Thank God for that. Um, Seriously. There's, <laughs> there's, there's the, the formula, like I said before, the formula for bringing, uh, making this successful. Uh, we're still figuring this stuff out. We're really grateful for all the support that we see out there. Um, and the good thing mm. is, is that all of the people who work at Torch and Crown right now um, are more than willing to sort of pivot on a dime. We're willing to look at what's working, what's not working, change those things as quickly as possible. It's really hard to make really good beer, and it's really hard to make really good food. Uh, and we hope that people understand that, they appreciate that. I think they will. They're really, really excited so far. You know, and when they come and experience what we've got to, we've got to serve, it should be a good one. But the whole team has been pretty amazing to uh, to, to kind of see in action over the over the past few months, and so we're uh, and we're just getting started, obviously. So lots to go. Look, it's a hard process, no question about it. I mean, in, in the sense of obviously being part of this team, and then as I start thinking about the people that we're bringing on for Soho, it's the same thing. It's where's your, you know, what's the credibility? What's your passion about beer? You know, what have you done? You know, our executive chef was the chef at Italy for eight and a half years, and, you know, he's got, he understands the volume, but also, you know, he helped create that, that beer area experience up there, which was a really important part. And, um, you know, our general manager has, is one of the people that I've known for a long time that really has the breadth of not only beer, but also spirits and also wine. And it's important. Like we, you know, even as much as that's a small portion of what we'll do, it's important that that still matters. Um, you know, because I want the balance and I think, you know, I'm, look, I'm always going to be a wine drinker no matter what. So it just, you know, or, or, or so. Oh, that's and Joe, anything else you want to say? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, the uh, this whole concept of team building and things like that. I mean, Christian and I met, and one of the first things we bonded over was a his love for Belgian beer, but also his love for his love for low ABV beer and the kind of a sense of community that that makes, and and it being able to kind of to drink together for an extended period of time. And I think is a portion of what this Belgian beer culture is talking about is, but the the fact that we're all able to kind of get together and the team can be like minded and what the goal and vision is here, I think, is an important part of what we have going on. That's great. Well, I'm really excited to uh, start hanging out more on Van Dam Street, which is it's really by the Holland Tunnel, but that's like Hudson Square, yeah. City Winery. Yep. That, yep. This is a part of, of Manhattan that, like many other parts, is is becoming more of a destination, and mm-hmm. people are working there, and uh, it's very cool. You're 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 west of Sixth Avenue, right? Correct. On. About about. 
20 feet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On so, the Spring Street stop. Yeah. So literally you can walk outside. And so turn, it's, it's, turn it's, it's Soho yeah. proper. You're in Soho, yep. Manhattan. Yes. Yep. So you can't get a better location. So great job, guys. Congratulations, awesome. Joe you. and John and bringing mm-hmm. on Christian and Chris. And Chris McClellan, you know, check him out. He used to be... Uh, the brew enthusiast and some other things, but now he's torching crown too. So uh, still, still there. We're still kicking around. So, but well, you got yeah. a great team. Yeah. And thanks, uh, thanks, just you, please let us know when, when that restaurant brewery tasting room opens up. Yes. Cause it is, it's going to be big news for New York city. So awesome. Thank you guys so great much. To be here. Um, one more time, everybody just say your names and uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks a lot for, uh, for having us on Jimmy. This is Chris McClellan uh, over at torch and crown. And this is Christian Papadakoulos. Joe Correa. You guys are great. Thanks for joining me on the Cheers. Heritage Radio Network. Cheers, Big shout out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer. Intern Kevin Ch- uh, Chang Barnum. It's his last day. Kevin, thanks for doing such great work with us the last uh, eight months. And uh, engineer Jess. And we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.